Hello, everybody. Welcome to Drusha Deconstructed. I'm your host, Rabbi Itzik and I'm here with my co-host. Rabbi Scott Hoberman. Rabbi Hoberman, we missed you last week. Great to have you back. Great to be back. And we have a wonderful guest this week, one of my rabbeim, Rabbi Daniel Feldman, Shlita. Rabbi Daniel Feldman is Rashiva of Reed at Yeshiva University and the rabbi of Orsaja. Um, Ray Felman, it's such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Such a pleasure to have you here in my office, and uh, especially Rebecca Nack is uh, one of the rebbeim of my son Yaakov, which is a tremendous privilege to be able to have yes. you here. And yes, to, and to big shout that. out to Yaakov, wonderful boy. <laughs> yes. Wonderful boy from a wonderful family. Yes, very. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, Ray Felman, it's really a pleasure. Um, and each week we talk about a drasha on the parsha as a, as a lens of talking about the parsha in general. Um, but it's also a way, it's a mirror for, for us as rabbis that we get to hold up and talk about drushas in general. And I have a feeling that your approach to drushas maybe, maybe is a little bit different than uh, what we've had in the, in the past on this podcast. Um, it might be somewhat unique in our communities. Um, so could you give us, in a couple of sentences, what's your approach, your framework for drushas? How you think about it, what your process looks like? And then from there, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on something together. Well, I think in, in some ways it's probably not so different. I think all rabbis hope for some siyata dishmaya that there's going to be a sudden inspiration, especially when there are things that uh, maybe there are things going on in the world or maybe things going on in the community that make them feel like it's time to... Uh, to focus on something, and then you know, the parsha is always in the air, so you you feel like that there's something that's going to call out to you that's going to connect to it. I always feel that it's a benefit to try to appreciate the relationship of Tarish Bechzav and Tarish Balpeh, and uh, the idea that what Chazal were seeing in the Psukim, whether it's in terms of the narrative or whether it's in terms of halacha, and if there's a din that connects to the Pasuk, or if there is a drusha that connects to a din, that there's probably something there also that talks to the whole situation. Right. I think the, a key word there is din, meaning and a, not a halacha. <laughs> that there's a, that, that, that you, from, I mean, I've, I've known you for about 25 years. Um, well, since, I'm not that old. Maybe you were. Um, <laughs> since I was a, a camper in NCS by Colo. Um, that I must have been a baby, but okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, and I, I know that halacha is uh, is very much part of the the conversation that you have in everything. So, well, also the belief that it's all integrated. You know that right. uh, that everything uh, that the halacha represents foundational principles, and right. that, and and that, that I think it's very much a part of the Rav's philosophy of of halacha. Not that I know so much about that, but we are sitting in YU, so we should. Also, uh, there's a Rabbi Ganak who's written some wonderful svarim yes, about it. Yes, my father had written Could recommend to you. If, uh, so yeah, so so let's talk about uh, our parsha this week. Um, Parsha's Miketz. Oh yes, this week is Miketz. Yes, um, and also Hanukkah. Yes. So so what what strikes you? Parsha's Miketz. What in terms of a halacha or a medrash? What strikes you? Something that we can work with as a kernel. Well, you know, there's there's one detail that and it just struck me, and it happened to remind me of something I once. Uh, heard from the Shechter and uh, worked hard to try to find <laughs> inside, and it kind of leads to a whole process of thinking about how values and priorities interact. And at the very beginning of the Parsha, 
So we find, sort of towards the end of the first Aliyah, so we find that Yosef is released from jail. And he's about to meet the king. And the Torah tells us that he shaves, or that he is shaved, that he has his hair cut. And Rashi finds it necessary to explain that, which is itself interesting, because maybe... I guess uh, the yeshiva guys don't necessarily focus on shaving so often, but uh, in the world in general, you know, somebody's uh, about to, somebody's released after a long time from prison and uh, going to see the king, so uh, it wouldn't be so surprising. If I they will were, cite the Mishnah in Moikata. Uh, that's a heter to shave in Cholomoe. Right, uh, because the assumption is that uh, you can't shave in jail. That's the assumption here. And once you get released, so it's a bad time. So it's interesting that Rashi goes out of his way to tell us that this was done because of the honor of the king. So let's just pause here for a second. Mm-hmm. So you're, the core that you're suggesting is the Rashi says that, ya, that, that Yosef shaved when he gets out of prison before he speaks to Paro and Rashi comments because of the covet of Paro. Yeah, and that's our core. So I just want to point out yeah. this is what I love about Rashi's in general. That's a really boring Rashi. <laughs> no offense to Rashi. Yeah, no really offense to that one. And like when you're it, it's, when you're reading the Rashi's, right. that's not the way you pick out. And I think that's so interesting. To, to, thank you, to, Rashi. To, like, oh, yeah, like, like, right. Like, mm, to highlight that. Shame my comb. But okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So like, well, well, what's uh, what, what's the message? So I, I love that you're that you're that you're pulling it out for us. Okay, so so I'm I'm listening. I'm saying. What do you what do you want from that? Well, so part of what made me think about this Rashi more, uh, it's not that I pulled it out. It's that some of the Rishonim and a lot of the Achronim pulled it out. And Can I just interrupt you for a second? So I didn't know those Rishonim and Achronim, and I sit for twenty years. I've been wondering. So when I and Bemechila, I asked if I could ask you this question. Is that a yes? We'll find out what the question is. So <laughs> when I was a camper in NCSY Kolel, um, the rumor was that you have a photographic memory. That's why you should never believe rumors. So, is that true? No. You're denying it? Yes. You know that this is being recorded? Yes. Okay. We won't deny that on the record. Okay. But um, uh, you were involved with other things, so you didn't get to this one specific point. But uh, there is a lot of popular discussion about that maybe there should be a halachic objection to this. Because... The Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah that Yosef was released on Rosh Hashanah. So then, if we have a tradition, like the Gemara says in Yuma, which actually was uh, based on a Pasuk and Parshas told us a few weeks ago, that the Ovos kept Kal Tarakula. So then, maybe he shouldn't be shaving on Rosh Hashanah. So maybe we need more of a justification. So you need more of a justification because it's a violation of the halachas of, of, of Yantif. That's what... Uh, but then the question is, is this a real justification? So then, right. So then, so once we... Rashi think, comes once, in, yeah. Right, so Rashi comes in maybe to answer that, but then maybe it's not enough of an answer. Yeah. Is, is there a heter? He doesn't say, like, karov lamalchus or something right. like that. that right, right. Like I think the have this question. This is a question which starts really in the, in the Rishonim, and then in the Svarim. Nowadays, we're zoche to many, many uh, beautiful Svarim, which approach the Torah with a halachic lens and approach also the narrative of the Torah with a halachic lens. Right. Even I think that's a tradition the, that comes out from Tosvos. Yeah, yeah, so it makes sense that they're asking this, but they they come with a question of 
is that enough for justification? And they consider, well, what kind of a malacha is shaving? Is it a malacha shaving at Sricha Lagufa? Is it maybe a lower level of a prohibition? Does that factor in? So you can find mm-hmm. there's a whole genre, I have a whole shelf in my house of svarim that are halacha on the parsha, so to speak. Uh, and for example, Rav Asher Weishlita, his farm are, are very well known that are focused on some of those kinds of considerations, but there's, there are many, many. It's really a tradition that goes back, you know, as you point out, and to be shown him, but say to go back about 100 years ago, uh, the Ragachavar really uh, very much inserted uh, halachic oh, issues. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I actually got a call this morning. <laughs> so, uh, somebody's looking to, for the Svarim of the Ragachavar that were originally published in Yeshiva University. So let's say for the Tafas Panei Torah, I think actually says Yeshiva University in it. So uh, that's it. That there you go. So the Sefer Tzatos Penei Torah in particular, uh, in a way that sometimes people find uh, a little surprising, he will insert halachic discussions into, into the narrative of the Torah. And so here, the question of whether is this really uh, an issue to say that Yosef should have been keeping the mitzvot and therefore he shouldn't be shaving, and is that what Rashi is answering? Or is that not enough of an answer because uh, it should have been worse than that? So it's an interesting discussion, and you can find a lot of literature about it, about how to relate to Malach Shinsrich Lagufa and Kvod Malthus and Parshish So let me interrupt. Let me ask a question. If, if, if we were going to include this in a drasha, so this discussion, as you, meant, is, is, as you mentioned, is shelves long, so, but in a drasha, you can't... Okay. You, only you have, do one shelf per drasha. You only do one shelf per drasha, right? <laughs> so how would you consolidate this, this whole question yeah. and the whole conversation into um, a kernel that could be used in a drasha? And then, but then we also get to the, the question... Of so what? So where does this bring us in our drasha? How we what? What are people going to uh, be listening to before Musaf, and how are they going to apply it during their suda right. and Shabbos day? So you really can't spend a lot of time on the halachic part. You have to kind of cut to it very quickly. So it could just be in one sentence that Rashi highlights the fact that it's a Kvod Malchus, which you might have thought doesn't need to be highlighted. But it's interesting that there are some who say, in fact, actually considering that it was Rosh Hashanah and that the Avos kept the Torah, so then one could ask, actually, is he justified in shaving, and is Kvodah the answer to that question, or is it not enough of an answer to that question? And that's essentially one sentence, you know, that you can do uh-huh. in, in 30 seconds or less. And then what? Right, so then, the only reason I would bring it in is because I thought that one of the answers can begin a whole thought of, whole process of thinking as far as priorities and values. And I remember originally hearing from Roshachter once, many years ago, that he quoted a Chassam Sofer to address this question. And that the way he said it was that the Chassam Sofer says it's not really a question because the idea of the Avos keeping the Torah, and assuming that Yosef is in that category also, there's a lot to figure out about the details of that, but assuming that, okay, the Avos and their descendants kept the Torah, so that wasn't a chiyuv. That was the whole point. The chiyuv didn't come till Sinai, so they did so voluntarily. So that they didn't really have to do. They didn't have a prohibition of shaving. But for Hamalchus, that's a real din. So that, if you have to decide what's going to take priority, so Kvot HaMalchus should take priority over something like this voluntary observance of the mitzvah. Uh-huh. So I always found that fascinating because Kvot HaMalchus is also a din. So you could say that, okay, neither was obligatory. Uh, and, and if I wanted to find the halachs of Kvot HaMalchus in Shulchan Aruch, mm-hmm. would I be able to find them someplace? So in Shulchan Aruch, you'd have a harder time to find it just because it's not the kind of thing that he talks about. You could find it in the Rambam. I mean, you could find it... You, you know, find it, by Malchus Yisrael. Right. 
So I'm saying we'd no, be able but to also like the Gemara says in a couple of places, uh, Gemara and Brachos, uh, that one should always run to Kvod Malachim, to greet Malachim. Uh, oh, like Eliyahu. There's a bracha associated with a Malach. Toast was about Tzar Balichayim and right, it was justified for Malachim. Uh, Batashchus talks yeah. about some right. case of Tumas Kohanim, I think. Well, that's so what the Gemara talks about, with Rabban about running yeah. the, to to greet the uh, Kohanim, running to become Malachim. So there are definitely sources about that, but also it comes up actually as a Rashi quotes at the beginning of Parshas Vayichi, uh, a limud from the pasuk that there is a obligation of Kvod Hamalchus. So you could have thought they're both dinim he wasn't obligated in. Uh-huh. So why say one is? He doesn't have to keep Rosh Hashanah. He doesn't have to honor Paro because he's not. He's, these are not. He's not. These are mitzvot. Right. And he's not, right. He's so not maybe, maybe both of them would be voluntary. So, so what do you see? What do you so see? we have to think more about different levels that. of voluntary. So it just prompts you to think. Yeah, that there's something more basic about the concept of Kvod HaMalchus, that it's before a mitzvah. It's even a prerequisite to mitzvahs. That it shouldn't be seen in the same category as that which was commanded at Sinai, uh-huh. and that there's something about it that is fundamental. And when you start thinking about that, so then it kind of connects to other things, and uh, evokes other comments of the Chesam Sofer, which I thought actually might be Related because so this this comes so for just kind of taking it for granted that there is uh, a concept of kvot hamalchus that's inherent and that is self-evident and doesn't require any source. I thought it actually maybe was reminiscent of a similar statement to the chesam sofer. But first, I had to find the chesam sofer. So uh, so this uh, wasn't easy to find because uh, the Chesam Sofer al Torah means a lot of things. It's a Sefer Torah Moshe from the Chesam Sofer. And there are others for him that are published that says Chesam Sofer al Torah. And it comes out to a number of different editions. And each time he says something different. Chesam Sofer was uh, very <laughs> prolific and very broad in his writings, so you have a number of different versions of what could be called the Chesam Sofer Torah. If you look hard enough, you can eventually find this in one of them. I forgot which one, but in one of them, uh, you can find, uh, together with other, he discusses some of the more technical approaches also to Moshe and Tzvichel Gufa, discusses some of the other more classic things, but in one place he does say this, that this is, uh, that these are simply not comparable. Uh-huh. So let, let's let's bring it home. Let, let's, um, let's just um, summarize what we have so far. So again, Rashi Rashi says that yeah, that Yosef shaved for Kvod Malchus. Right. You may want to bring that as like the answer. Yeah. I would just say like Yosef shaves the, the Medrash there or the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us this happened on Rosh Hashanah. How was he able to shave? And then have Rashi be? I don't think Rashi's really coming to answer that question necessarily. But that might be like a really easy way to develop it if you want uh, to just simplify as much as if possible. And then we, but we still have the, again, and then we get to the ultimate point, which is that honoring the king, even a king like Paro, um, has some self-evident is, quality. To right, it, right. right. So it doesn't need any source. To I think self-evident is, is a good point because um, self the, the reason that the, the those who crafted uh, the language of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution um, specifically jumped over um, previous forms of law and the, the and the foundations of those law is because the the British were claiming the right to rule from the monarchy, which has which derives its power. The monarchy derives the power from the the, the Christian religion, and they say, "Well, we don't we don't accept any of that. Well, it's self evident. These truths to be self evident, right? Yeah. Right. So we we don't care what you claim. So yes, the same type of thing that it's self evident. Quo malchus 
pre not predates, but is it's, not is based there, on. It's there by itself, yeah. right? And it maybe is in a sense a prerequisite. Is this similar to what the uh, when, when we say Derech Eretz Kadma LaTorah? I think it is, but in a very specific way, maybe because Derech Eretz also explaining that concept of Derech Eretz being Kadma LaTorah in the sense of being a prerequisite to the Torah, being something like the Vilna Gaon would explain that Torah is like water to a plant and will make grow what's already there. So if somebody has bad meadows, the Vilna Gaon said, then Torah is going to make them worse. And if he has good meadows, if he has a Derech Eretz first. Torah is going to make him better. So that's the way the, the Gra understood it, that that is a prerequisite in that sense. But uh, it could be also like Chaim Vital said about mitzvos, about midos, and that midos not being a mitzvah, oh, yeah. that midos is not a mitzvah because midos is the prerequisite, that in order to be able to approach the Torah, you need to have midos first. So I think it's all something, uh-huh. but I think there might even be something even more specific within that whole category that is being referenced here. Right, I think you could go different directions where you could say, you see there's such a thing as core values and then talk about other core values or what it means to have core values. Right. Or you could try to explain why is this one of those core values. Right. It's not necessarily the first one that would come to mind if you right. thought like in a world without Torah, what would be the, the, uh, the self-evident truths? So this might not be one of them. Right. So I, I was thinking about that, and you know how also some svarim, you get a feel when you've been doing this long enough that some svarim are going to help you when you're looking for a certain kind of thing. And some. So when I first started thinking about this question, so I thought a sefer that might point to you a little bit in a good direction uh, the sefer Psalm Derech, which is from the Sichos of Rabsim Chazesel Broid. Uh, it was the Rashiv of Chevron, and it was uh, my Rebbe's Rebbe, and Rabbi Mendel Blachman from Karen Biavna. Is a Shlita, is a Talmud of Chazal and I remember he told me once I was talking. I mentioned to him that I uh, appreciate a lot of the things written in the Sefer. It's a very atzilostic divrei Torah, like nobility in the in the divrei Torah. It seemed like the kind of thing you talk about. And indeed, he does have a number of comments on this Rashi and this idea really? that Kodamachus. What is so intuitive about, uh, or what is so basic about Kodamachus? Right. But Aside from that, I think it's evocative of another similarly mysterious cryptic statement of the Chassam Sofer. Because the Chassam Sofer has a tshuva about Hanukkah, uh, where he deals with the fact that Hanukkah, yes, is not Menat Torah, Hanukkah is Drabanan, and Halal, most of the Rishonim assume that Halal is also not Menat Torah. But still, despite those two Drabanans, the Chassam Sofer assumes that for one not to say Halal, on Hanukkah at all, that would be a problem on a level Menat Torah. Again, there's something more basic there, that even before there was a Hanukkah and before there was a Tzivoy of Halal, it's understood that we should be saying Halal on Hanukkah. Uh-huh. So, I wonder if there's a, an overlap between those two. There's Chem Sofer here and there's Sofer in the Tshuva, that maybe what he's getting at is that essentially it's about Hakara Satov, but in the literal sense of Hakara Satov, Hakara of Tov. And meaning that you have to be able to appreciate when something is out of the ordinary. You have to be able to recognize that there's something special in front of you. And that's a basic prerequisite to everything else, because even the Torah is going to be lost on you if you can't appreciate when there's something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what the Ramban says. The Ramban says in Parshish Yisro, when the Torah tells us that there was the whole thunder and lightning show at Matan Torah, 
and the Jews are told not to be afraid, that this is Bavor and Sosuchem, I think the Pasuk something like that, so the Ramban explains this is a test, so to speak, Rufut has a lot about this in the Pachet Yitzchak, that the point is that if the Torah is going to be given to the Jewish people, they can't be people who have been there, done that. You know, oh, yeah, thunder and lightning, yeah, I got that on my app, but, you know, I can just, uh, I can get a, go on YouTube and see a picture of thunder and lightning, it's not, you know, really too impressive. Um, I can make an emoji like that, you know, that, if that, if it doesn't mean anything to you, then the greatest gift in the world, and the Torah is also going to be lost on you, because you need first to have the ability to recognize when something is special. So the Jews had to be tested at that time to see how do they react to a fantastic display at Arsinai. So Yosef had to be the kind of person, if he is going to be a gavra, he has to be the kind of person who recognizes Malchus is different, recognizes this is not an everyday event. Uh, it's like, it's like I don't remember who's, who says, I heard it from my father, that at Bechiras, Moshe, when Moshe is chosen to be the leader of the Jewish people, we know he's chosen by the burning bush. It says, Vayar kisar os and Hashem saw that Moshe turned to see what was going on with the bush, and then Hashem speaks to him. He didn't speak to him first. He first waited for Moshe to notice, because he said, if you don't notice, which this was my father quoted, I don't remember who he quoted it from, um, but he said that if you don't notice that things around you are different and something's happening, you need to respond, so you're not yet right to be the leader of the Jewish people. Oh. So, and uh, also, I was, when I was listening to you uh, share that Chassam Sofer about Hallel and Hanukkah, um, and I know the Chassam Sofer didn't mean this, but it, it reminds me of the, the language and the conversation of Hal and Yom Hasim, and I see where I hope I was thinking also that too, to, I didn't know. Just the language of, of you know, how could it, they, I mean, part of the question of, of, of recitation of Hal and Yom Hasim, with a brach, without a brach, things like that, is that there was, there, there's no chazal, there are no, um, there's no Anshik Nesak Dola to make a, a declaration that we recite Halal. On Yom Hatzimut, so does it become a mitzvah on its own? This is big discussion, um, but um, but the the language of the Chassam Sofer is that. But when something is so different, so then Halal is just an outgrowth. Now that doesn't mean that he thinks that you say a bracha on Halal. Does does it, all the assumptions of the question of Yom Hatzimut are not the same? For the the process, It'd be quite a discovery relevant. if you could establish that. Though. Right, 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 right. He, he, he was 120 years too early. Um, yes, it's very interesting. Let's. I, I think that it, there's a there's a lot here and a, a lot of great value. What if we wrap this up into a drasha? Um, we're gonna have to sift it through because it's so dense and wonderful and awesome. It's just too exciting to do all at once. Um, but I bet we can. I bet we can work it out into a drasha. Has it such a surprise that a Jewish guy shaves? That seems to be the impression that Rashi has, because uh, Rashi, in the very beginning of our parsha, feels a need to comment on why it is that Yosef shaved. Here he's released from prison, and it's not so unexpected that he may need to clean up a little bit, especially as he's about to meet the king. And Rashi apparently needs to tell us that that's actually the point, that here he's about to meet the king, so when we're told, Vayigalach, that he shaved or he was shaved, so Rashi emphasizes, Mipnei Kvot HaMalchus, that this is because of the honor of the king. 
So why is that something that needs to be explained to us? Well, it's interesting to note, actually, that there were some who felt that it's not even enough of an explanation because we have a rabbinic tradition. The Gemara tells us in Masachas Rosh Hashanah that Yosef was released on Rosh Hashanah. It was Yantif. And if we also have a tradition that the Avos kept the Torah even before it was given, maybe we need an excuse or maybe it's not even enough of an excuse. And indeed, there's a, a lot of analysis about that question. And maybe that issue can lead us into thinking about something. I remember hearing once from Rav Shechter quoted the Chassam Sofer that it's not really much of a question to ask why should Yosef shave. That's because the imperative of Kvod HaMalchus was the only clear value, the notion of keeping the mitzvahs before the Torah was given. It's a nice idea, but by its very nature, it wasn't an obligation. The Torah wasn't given yet. But Kvod HaMalchus, that's a real chiv. That was a real obligation, so that certainly had to take priority. And it seems to be a a very fascinating thing to take for granted because the notion of showing honor to kings is a concept we find in halacha, but it's also a halachic value. It's also a mitzvah. So why do I assume that that's something that existed before the Torah was given and that's a clear priority while when it comes to the details of Rosh Hashanah, that had to wait for the Torah actually to be given to be a mitzvah. And it's also interesting that this seems to parallel another assumption the Chassam Sofer has elsewhere in his writings. The Chassam Sofer in his Chuvas in one place, maybe more than one place actually, discusses that Hanukkah has a self-evident quality to it also. That even though Hanukkah is a rabbinic enactment, it post-dates the Torah, and even though Hallel, according to most Rishonim, is a rabbinic obligation, it's not a Torah obligation, but the Chassam Sofer takes it as a given that if one were to neglect to say Hallel for the entire Hanukkah, they'd be missing something on a Torah level. There's something basic and fundamental about the need to say Hallel and Hanukkah. And maybe in both cases, it's reflecting the same idea that there is a basic prerequisite to the Torah that one is able to recognize and acknowledge when something is special. If you're in the presence of royalty, if you're about to see the king, or if there are miracles that have happened, and you're not able to acknowledge that, if your attitude has just been there, done that, this is not anything that impresses me, so then you are fundamentally flawed in your ability to recognize anything and your ability to appreciate the Torah itself. And in fact, the Ramban explains that when the Torah was given, it was presented in a context of a thunder and lightning show of tremendous grandeur. And the Torah tells us this was Bavur and the Ramban explains in order to test, are you able to appreciate what is out of the ordinary, what is great and what is special? Because if not, the whole Torah is going to be lost on you. Everything is not going to have an impact no matter how spectacular it is. And this is something we struggle with in our generation. There is so much that is given to us on a plate. There is so much that we can access with the click of a button. We're so easily jaded, and we so quickly get to the point of been there, done that. I can do this on an app. I can do this with a GIF. I can download this in a second before anyone even has to ask where it came from. There's so much that we can access that we lose our appreciation for what's spectacular, and we lose our ability to be makir tov, which is a crucial fundamental of how we relate to people, how we relate to our teachers and our parents, how we relate to all the benefits that we have in society. And if we can't acknowledge what's good and what's special and what's different and what is out of the ordinary, so then we lose all our potential to build on that and to accomplish and to seize those opportunities to grow into something better and to develop 
all of the spectacular potential that's in front of us. So perhaps what Yosef is reminding us and what the Chassam Sofer in both of his comments regarding Yosef and regarding Hanukkah is reminding us is that a fantastic, spectacular world lies in front of us. But first, we have to notice. Wow, that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. Thank you so much. You feel that you have to say that because... Uh, yeah. Be- because yeah. yeah. No, because it really was. And I especially like that ending that you yeah. just that you added. You have to notice and the way you, it stopped um, very suddenly. They really drove that point home. So, Yasha Kofre Feldman. Well, thank you. Thank or, you so much for coming. Or Saji, yeah. I hope they, uh, they, they, yeah. they appreciate the podcast in preparation for Shabbos. So, and they yeah. will not be hearing yeah. it. You'll have to speak about something else. Right. Yeah. It's worth it to be able to spend a few minutes with you. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. And I remind our listeners that next week uh, we'll have Rabbi Ari Zatz oh. on the podcast. Mylon Bakaitish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, very good. It won't be Hanukkah anymore. Ah, okay. But, uh, but we, uh, we look forward to having it. And it's such a close to have my Rabbi Feldman on the podcast. Thank Yashir you Kala. so much. Best regards. Yashir Kala.